joined now by Stevie Porter uh, to look back on a fantastic weekend uh, in the club football championship across the country. Stevie, just briefly before we do, last time we were on the podcast, um, myself and Kieran Shannon, and we were, I suppose, thinking what would happen the GA calendar. Would we have a league-based system? We don't. We're sticking, we're sticking with the same structure. You've obviously been involved with Ross Common in Division One and Carlo previously. What's your take on sticking with the old system? Uh well, I suppose Paul for, I've always been a great believer in that we funny right. I, I just I'll tell you a good one. Like we, we had this conversation there last week and we we're talking about competitions around the world. And there's so many competitions around the world, like European Championships, World Cups, Champions Leagues, FA Cups, and they all crave for an even number of teams. They all crave for 32 teams to make their competitions work. We have 32, so we have we have half the, the battle solved already. Uh, personally, I feel the best competition we have is the National League. I feel that that, that has been, you know, been very, very evident over the last number of years. I think the National League, obviously, the last the last couple of seasons has been very diluted because of COVID. That's understandable, but we're hoping in twenty twenty two that you know that the that, that, that leagues can go back to, you know, a normal sort of process of of uh, promotion and relegation in the, in the proper manner. Because last year was 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 quite farcical, probably for a lot of counties. Like you know, a lot of counties probably would have felt both hard done by, and a lot of counties would have felt probably very fortunate in the fact that. Maybe you only had to win one game to stay in Division One, or you had to maybe possibly, you know, you could get a Division Four by winning two games, you know, just things like that. Like so, it's um, it will be something that that obviously you know will will be back to where we were before. But saying that, uh, I feel there is a need for change, Paul. I feel there is a need for change. Uh, the problem is that that we're probably very insular and and very passionate here in Ulster about. The Ulster Championship because you know the Anglo Cell Cup is still ultimately the Holy Grail and you know it's it's huge for for counties to win it like and I think you know we're going to talk about club football we're going to talk about Tyrone club football and you know you look at Tyrone there's no back to back winners in the last sixteen years in Tyrone club football uh, there's been eight different clubs have won the Tyrone Championship in the last ten years and Ulster county football is a little bit like that probably just without the winners like I think every county in Ulster has been their provincial final in the last 12 or 13 years. So, you know, all nine counties have actually been to the final. Antrim with her under Baker Bradley way back in the late noughties, maybe around about 2010, 29, you correct me if I'm wrong. But so every single county has been to an Ulster final. So no matter who you are, whether you're Antrim, Fermanagh, Down, Armagh, Derry, Donegal, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Every single county enters the Ulster Championship every year thinking, well, if we get over round one, if we get through the quarterfinal, if we get a good draw at home, you know, who knows? We could be an Ulster final. You know, so there is the provincial the, the championship in Ulster is still very sacred, uh, Paul. It's still very, very sacred. Uh, it's still valued very, very greatly. Um, the problem in Leinster is Dublin have killed it. Dublin have killed it. But I, I did say, you know, and I've said in the past before, like, like careful probably what I say too, like, but I just feel some counties through the talent very, very early, very, very early in that they just sort of accepted that, you know, Dublin are that, that far ahead that, you know, well, what can we do sort of thing, you know, and, and you know, obviously they, they were a phenomenal say, probably the greatest Gaelic football team that we, that 
we've ever seen, you know. So it's very, very hard to, to probably build a case and, and particularly the whole, obviously the whole funding things, a separate identity uh, and, the, and the advantages that they get in playing in Crow Park. Like I'd love to have seen a, a Leinster Championship that, you know, where Dublin had to play, you know, away from home a lot more often than they did. Like, and then obviously you look at Connacht and Connacht's reasonably competitive over the last six or seven years, probably with Roscommon and Galway and Mayo have probably equally shared the, their, their provincial titles over the last six or seven years. But ultimately it is, you know, a very lopsided competition if you're in the same side of the draw as, for example, Mayo were this year with Sligo and Leitrim, with all due respect, those two counties, like, like the RT even shown the Leitrim Mayo game was was cruel, like you know, and and if reports were laid, they believe believe that Leitrim only had a handful of people at training that week and things like that. So, like the game does need change, Paul. Like it needs change, and I suppose last year, last year's, uh, you know, uh, the Cavan win an Ulster and Tipperary win a Munster. Like those were, what was it, nineteen eighteen or something like you know or whatever. Like it was, you know, they're one in a hundred year jobs. Looks like you know, so their change is needed. But my my theory behind it would be very simple, and Marty Clark would sort of talk about this about the AFL system. Like I would love to see two leagues of sixteen, right? And within that league, you have fifteen games, right? But you have a playoff system, so you have maybe a top team going up, and then the next four playing off maybe for a possible for a possible promotion. You have the bottom team going down, and the next four playing off for relegation. So in a 16-team league, there's nearly 10 teams involved and either going up or going down or whatever it happens to be. Now, ultimately, you're going to get mismatches in every division and every in every competition. Like, But there's, there's definitely, like, our leagues are a fantastic competition and I just feel if they were marketed in a better way, played at a better time of the year, you know, it is something that, that obviously we, we could harness and develop. But the big the big stumbling block, Paul, for me, is the provincials. People are, are afraid to, like... You know, we're, we're quick to bring in new rules and things like that, but the GA are very, very slow association of change. Like, you know, we've got a lot of administrators. We've got a lot of, of delegates that really and truly, like I, I listened to an interview there recently. I don't even know who he was, to be honest with you, but ignorance in what she spoke with, I think it was some guy from Leinster or something like that. And just so adrift to the modern the modern player and what the, the player's looking like. like the amount of players that, that are walking away from the game and walking away from inter-county football, like, like change is needed. Like, change is needed. Like, and and Turlock O'Brien wrote a great piece, actually. Turlock, former Carlo manager, he wrote a great piece on Plan B. And he talked about, yes, it'll address certain issues and it'll, you know, it'll spice things up. But ultimately, like, there's so much more needs to be addressed. And the first and foremost thing that needs to be addressed is the quality of funding you know, that, that certain counties get and certain advantages that certain counties are getting. And... It does not wash for me this whole thing. Like, you know, Pat Gilroy came on and talked about, you know, there's no football between the two canals and stuff like that. Like, like you know, you've got to you've got to have you've got to have some party when it comes to, to funding. And I, I'll share a quick story with you, but I, I remember I remember years ago we were struggling to get um we were struggling to get the just the, the Carlo lads, the strength conditioning and stuff like that. And you know, I think Turlock had contacted Crow Park and a few of the weaker county managers contacted Crow Park about getting lads in to do S&C and they got into the GA, the, what do you call it, the Abbottstown, you know, the, the National Centre in Abbottstown there and they got a strategy coach. So it saved 12 or 14 lads in Dublin coming back down the road again and sure, like, first night they went, everything was great. Second night they went, everything was great. And then 
the third night they went, the gym was cleared. Dublin GA owned the equipment in the gym and look, they're well within their rights to go and clear it out. But like the gym was was cleared out. Like and there's just there's no like every disadvantage under the sun for for smaller teams. Like, you know, we at the time, like, you know, you're obviously penny pinching and you're looking to save money in any particular way you can and help players and things like that as well. And that's that's another big thing too, Paul. Like, you know, like a lot of players now with the way the economy has gone, with the way society has gone, like a lot of players have gravitated towards the capital. So you have so many players living and working in Dublin now. You know, I know my t- even my time last year, like for example, with uh, with Roscommon, for example, you know, like half our panel was in Dublin, you know, and it's very, very difficult. Like lads have to travel it's a good hour and a half over the training, like from Dublin, and you're doing that three times a week. Eventually, it takes its toll on the body, like you know, it eventually it takes its toll on the mind, you know, and and it is difficult. Like so, the, there is for me, I, I feel change was needed. But I think Paul, one of the big things that, w- that came out of COVID, and I've ranted and raved here, I probably haven't really given you anything, but I think one of the biggest things that has come out of COVID for me has been the identity of the split season. I thought the first COVID season was was class because you had the club football first right? and it was gone and then the players went to the county and the county football was played in the darker nights you know the depths of the winter and I thought it made for better spectacles I, I actually thought you know Paul it, it, it's, it's the right thing to play a club first and then county second because counties are all equipped now with floodlights with great facilities you know certain clubs aren't you know so the fact that like our club season for example this I'd say this is the latest the Down County final has ever been played. I think it's been played on the 6th of November or something like that. Is it the 6th or the 7th? I think it's a weekend of November, like, you know, and, and obviously the likes of Bourne and Kilcoo have access to lights, but I know, for example, Ballyholland Club up the road there that I managed for six years, Ballyholland has no lights. You know, Ballyholland were using our field this year to train, like, and like there's certain clubs don't have those facilities. So to push the clubs back, you know, further in the year, I think was the wrong decision this year. I think the club season should have go first. And there has to be a split season because it, it's it's unsustainable for players to do both. Like it really is, like you know. Yeah, uh, we're joined now by Colin Sheridan as well. And Colin, I suppose, like all GA fans, we have been frustrated. I suppose when you see these weaker counties like Sligo, Leitrim, and the other Division Three and Four sides, like being managers there, like how do they motivate their players? I suppose to come back into this. I suppose broken structure for another year. Yeah, Paul. I think it's it's and it's uh, Stephen is, is probably you know um, a lot more in, in in touch with it from the from the grassroots level. But you know, even just anecdotally talking to an awful lot of people, and this is a, a well worn path as regards hearing how the drift is happening more and more for players away from uh, club football, which is an awful awful shame. And I think uh, that's obviously been compounded by the whole situation last year, which was unavoidable with the pandemic. Um, but I do feel um, that we've had a massive opportunity and, and still hopefully there is an opportunity to come up in the spring for them to kind of reverse this decision or at least look at it and come with a better proposal that'll um, come with a lot more equity uh, for the club player because the drain on, on players is huge. The drain from clubs away from players is huge. They're already facing so many challenges as it is, whether it's travel and work, education, all of these things. Um, but now you're faced with a situation where, again, with an opportunity to kind of prioritize the club as they keep on saying, you know, from the headquarters down, but to say they are doing that, but it's the, you know, the, the proof is is in the pudding in this instance, and they're not, you know, they're not prioritizing clubs. 
they're not putting the welfare of club footballers uh, at the forefront of, of what they're doing. And um, the shame in all of this is that by the time they do come around to realising that, it may, be, it may be too late. You'll have, you know, the season will become so fractured. Uh, it had gotten so fractured already. It was so fractured 10 or 15 years ago. Um, you know, even when I was playing football at various levels, that literally, depending on what county you were, you didn't know what you were doing uh, week to week. Um, you know, playing a championship match in April and then maybe not playing one again for two or three months. It's just absolutely insanity um, when you think of the commitment that goes in from uh, from all these players. So as I see it, it's, it's a bit dystopian and it's a bit kind of apocalyptic, but uh, the way it's headed at the moment, I just don't know how you can expect um, young, ambitious footballers um, or a flip side of that is, you know, guys kind of heading towards you know, whether it's parenthood or other other things like jobs and you know, all the commitments that people have to be able to commit to this for what now looks, again, like a 10, 11 months um, with very little actual football played when it should be played. And um, I really do hope, um, I really do hope that they, they recognise this and there's enough noise made over the coming months that they'll still look at trying to make a change going into the coming seasons because, yeah, I think we've had a huge missed opportunity first time around. Stephen, as well, like people will have to question, like, I suppose for Congress to make this decision, do we need that many people in a room together to decide the future of the football championship? Yeah, look, look, Paul, I, I've said it before, I felt very strongly, even here locally in our own county, like, like some club delegates go to these meetings and they don't even communicate with the correct personnel, the coaches, the players, about, you know, what people are looking for. Like, touch on what Colin said there, and he's completely right. We've got to remember, and I'm involved myself in, in, in probably in all three, in club and county and school. I see it all, you know, and, and I'm very passionate about our games and I'm, I'm very passionate about developing our games at underage level. And, you know, and, and like today we had 60 kids out today in school. It's unheard of for our school to have 60 young lads playing football, but we've lost some good kids too. We've lost them to rugby. And, uh, you know, they, they got a taste for rugby during the pandemic and there was a bit of rugby camps going on and they got sort of swallowed up and one of them got a bit of, got a wee bit of a trial for Ulster Rugby Academy and all of a sudden now Nuri's putting a big push on rugby. Like, we're battling here in Nuri with soccer and rugby and we're not providing games for our young players. We're not providing games for our club players. And the reality of the situation is, as Colin talked about there, there's 3% of Gaelic footballers play county football. Now, I know I'm involved with county football, have been involved with county football, but that's the reality of the situation. 3% of players play county football, only 3, 97 play, play club football. And the, the GA have always hammered the drum, oh, the club's the heartbeat of the association, the heartbeat of the association. But they're not showing that, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you here now, lads, and I don't know, Colin, what your views are on it, like, it'd be interesting to hear. I personally feel, and I, I'm involved, I'm involved, and I don't hesitate in saying this, I personally feel that county football is a runaway train. It's a runaway train. I think it's got out of control at certain levels. I think it's just got ridiculous. And because they have a basketball coach, we have to have a basketball coach. Because they've got a life coach, we have to have a life coach. It is absolutely ridiculous. And I tell you that now, ridiculous. And the fun has actually been drained out of it. Like, I love this time of year, right? I love this time of year because you get interviews in the Irish news from club players, from characters, from men who have been around maybe for 20, 30 years, lads playing, like Paul Murphy played for Ballyholan last weekend against the crew, 42 years of age. He put me to shame. Uh, he's a year younger than me. He bloody shame the, the condition the man's in. But he played at 42 years of age. But like his story, like in the amount of football he's played, he marked Brian Duher in Murray in 2008. 
give Brian Doher the absolute torture of his life. I've never seen a man mark a performance like it. But like Paul's been around the block a long time. You have players playing there, for example, uh, came on for um McCusser came on in the Toronto Championship the other night. Players that have been around such a such a long time. Like these are the real heartbeat. These are the proper stories. But look at the county game. And Colin, you're a journalist, you would know, like, the interviews are just sterile. They're just sterile. They're just like, same old robotic nonsense. Oh, don't, just please don't say anything that's not meant to be said. Because, like, I, I'm going to give you an example. In the, in the lead up to the All-Ireland final this year, Tyrone, I was kneeled on Tyrone were going to win that final. And I'll tell you why. Tyrone were so relaxed. The press were in. They did interviews freely. They were so open. They opened Garvahi up. The night before the game, the, the BBC cameras in, everybody in the whole razzmatazz, they had uh, Marie School, my, my wife's a teacher, Kieran McCann was in the week of the final. He was in school, meeting and greeting the players, signing autographs. In the lead up to the final, just so relaxed, sucking it in. Mayo had a press band for four weeks. Four weeks. Nobody spoke for four weeks. Now imagine the tension in that camp. Imagine the build-up. Imagine the the, 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 you know, the energy that was just being, Jesus, just let us release. Just let us just enjoy this. And just, and look, I'm not an expert. Like, I don't know what's right or what's wrong. But, you know, there was a similar approach in 02 and 03 when Armagh played Tyrone. Remember reading Mickey Hart's book? And he says, they went to the award nights, the Irish News, Ulster All-Stars. And Armagh were sitting in one corner, tense, wouldn't speak, got up after the meal, left straight away. Tyrone players stayed around all night, chilled out, relaxed enjoyed it you know and I feel there's a lot to be said for it lads I, I feel the, the fun and enjoyment is just getting absolutely drained out of the game it's just become so sterile it's, it's actually got the stage now where it's nearly not even enjoyable that's the truth Colin do you yeah. think think it has got too full on I do honestly yeah I do I think it has I think you know, so much of what Stephen has said there, like I was a guy who was like, you know, I, I played with a, uh, a ball where I was from in Mayo. We would have been a, a good senior club in the 90s and then became a, you know, a mediocre intermediate club in the early 2000s and eventually went down junior when, you know, when I was playing with them. So it kind of went, went you know, it's, it's a similar enough, you know, it's a cyclical thing for a lot of parish clubs all around the country. But there was huge enjoyment no matter what the level was and the frustration always was and your season being fractured, games being postponed, you're trying to do other things, whether it's work or relationships or all of these things. And like that was again, going back 15, 15 years or so. So those frustrations were there then, but even then though, in the mid two thousands, how the inter-county game has evolved even since then um, from the point of view of like, it's just become alien. There's such a disconnect I feel between club and inter-county just like Stephen is saying, and like to, to kind of further that point, um, I transferred at one point and, and played with Salt Hill in Galway. And you had a situation then, no more than it was at Val, where I was like, you know, I was a middling enough club player. But, you know, there you are, you're playing football with, you know, Michael Donlan. You know, it doesn't matter what your standard is. You're actually going down, you're training three nights a week. You're being exposed to this. And it's not a charity thing. You're committed to it. Um, he sees you as an equal in the fact that you're committed to it and you're involved in the same thing as he is. And my fear, as is, uh, it seems Stevens is as well, is that we're heading towards and have been heading for quite a long time. Is it's, it's like the rugby model of AIL clubs, which, again, going back 10 or 15 years, even though rugby was 10 years in professionalism at that stage, were still quite strong. And the AIL, the All-Ireland League, was, was still quite a strong thing and the clubs were quite strong and you had you know, provincial players to still play with their clubs and all that kind of stuff, where now that's just not the case at all. And as far as I can see, and I could be wrong, rugby isn't my sport, but I, I think that the All-Ireland League is, is really, really struggling. The standard of rugby at club level has, has, has diminished uh, to a huge extent. 
And um, I, I unfortunately see that if, if Gaelic football, inter-county Gaelic football continues the same way it's going at the moment. And I did think, again, last year was a brilliant opportunity and an eye-opener from the point of view of having the shortened championship in winter gave a great snapshot. Listen, there was huge flaws, obviously, with knockouts. There was huge flaws of the fact that it was played behind closed doors. And not flaws, but there was huge like drawbacks from that. But at the same time, you still had a, a shorter season and the whole thing seemed to have a lot more of a human element to it than it, you know, and this year we're back to it again. And being from Mayo, uh, again, to go back to what Stephen said, unbelievable frustration as regards, again, the disconnect between the county team, never mind even the media. I, you know, there's a natural suspicion sometimes between, between teams and the media, but even with the public themselves, you know, on open nights and, uh, and with the clubs. And certainly for me, and I, I don't know how much it's happening in the likes of Mayo and, but when you have intercounty players that become disconnected from their clubs and aren't the ones that are kind of leading the way in their clubs, um, I feel that's a huge, you know, it's a huge negative. I see it, you know, in, in, in different counties. I, like Mayo has an awful lot wrong with it in, 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 in the sense of structures and they struggle a lot in a lot of ways. And I've always felt that the lifeblood for them is the strength of the clubs, the tradition of the clubs. You don't have a club that dominates um, you know, county championships like you do in other places. And that's what drives the whole thing. But if they lose that, um, and I, again, I was envious, very envious when I heard a lot afterwards about how the drone guys, uh, you know, dealt with media, et cetera, and run up to the All-Ireland. I thought it was very admirable. And, and like I was at that final. And even though Mayo were only a couple of points down after 10 minutes, I felt that they weren't going to win it just based on how controlled and, and relaxed Tyrone looked. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. But I, I do honestly despair at the moment for the club, the health of the club, um, and when you think of all the work that goes into it from the volunteer level, from the underage level, uh, to, all the, to all the well-meaning officials that are involved in that. Um, and I think the Sigerson can be thrown into that as well. It's another, another conversation for another day. But like this, this problem has been staring the GA in the face for like two decades. And it seems like, you know, 2021 and we still don't have a solution to it. And as Stephen said, the intercounty season looks and is becoming increasingly more like a runaway train, as he called it. And uh, I don't know where it stops. I genuinely don't know where it stops because it's not getting any better. When you think of all the money that's pumped into the GA, et cetera, it's, it's, uh, it's not getting any better. Paul, just to, just to say about what Colin's talking about there, about the flow of games and disruptive seasons and just, just uh, disjointed seasons, we're probably very fortunate. It's probably, probably one of the things that we have right here and down uh, is that we actually have a, a really good club league a really good structure. We play Friday night games. So our season, Colin, starts in the middle of April on a Friday night. And we actually play, so in a, in a, in a 10-team league, we play 18 league games from April right through to August. So club footballers are getting football every single Friday night. We only break for the two-week break in July. And so the boys can pick up their drums and do a bit of marching for a few weeks. Like, but So we break, we break for that two weeks and then we come back again. But the fact of the matter is, it gives players a window as well if they're serious and committed, right, you know, take your holidays then in the, in the July fortnight, take your holidays, go away, you know, have your managers can go away with families, players can go away, you know, and refresh people. But the players are guaranteed 18 league games, club players. Now, you play without your county players at certain times, but they're called starred games, right? So, but at the end of the year, you have a playoff system, which means that if you finish in the bottom three, you've still have a chance to stay up. If you finish in the top three, you've still a league semi-final, the chance to win the league because you might have played a couple of games players, and I think it's a brilliant system. But in Tyrone, in Tyrone, up until a few years ago, up until pre-pandemic, 
you would have played, them lads would have played four or five league games, lads. Right? And this is true because I'd follow throne football very closely. They would, they'd have played four or five league games. And then in May, in May, Colin, the league stopped for 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Them players mightn't have played a game. They might have played one game in 12 weeks. And you're going to yourself, what in the name of God? And you're wondering why lads are clearing off to America, to Australia. You're wondering why lads are jacking the game in. You know? And it, it, it definitely is. It, it, it is a serious concern for me that the fixture, the, particularly you know, the facilitation of fixtures for club players at the present moment in time has just been parked. And we are grossly concerned with the inter-county game, which is becoming increasingly, increasingly more professional. It's increasingly, increasingly more professional. And the rich will get richer. And the poor get poor, and unless something's done very, very quickly, you're, you're going to have a seriously disjointed game. Like you're going to have like nearly like a super league of like at the minute. There's probably only a top four realistically, and and the reason there is a top four is that, that you know they've got the finances, they've got the structures in place, you know they've got a lot of things right, like and their conditioning is their conditioning levels are are on a different scale, a different scale altogether. I've never seen teams as as physically well conditioned as Tyrone and uh, Kerry this year, I thought they were two of the most supremely physically conditioned teams I'd seen. You know, and Mayo as well. Like, Ryan O'Donoghue there, Colin, like, the likes of Ryan O'Donoghue, Austin Mullen, those guys put on serious timber over the winter. Like, really, really proper muscular strength. Like, really, really proper conditioning. Like, you can see the difference in them physically. Even their arms, you know, and the size of them and how strong they are. And, and you know, so there's... And all that, all that matters, man. All that matters when you can facilitate that and put that in place. Like it, it, it just, it just all matters. Like so, I, I don't know where we're gonna go, but something needs to change and and change very, very quickly, or we're gonna lose what the GA call the heartbeat of the association, and we're gonna start, we're gonna start losing players like a sieve, you know. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I agree, Stephen, and I'm like the, and it did to further your point, it is that thing that. So we're saying that the inter-county season or uh, the inter-county scene is becoming more and more of a runaway uh, trainer. But it, it and, but you're right, it, it is only for that four or five teams. Um, and like that's, so it's not even like you're getting, you know, an NFL style like league where, you know, teams are, are strengthened and, and, you know, you're never going to have a dominant team over a few years. It's, it's just not the case. So yeah, it's becoming more and more concentrated on the, on the few, not the many. Um, so you have the club scene is, is suffering, but the intercounty scene is is also suffering under the current uh, stresses and strains. And uh, yeah, it's it's like the GA do so much right, and I think they do so much right at a strategic level. They, I, I really believe that they do. But like, I would rather see a weakened, lesser version of the intercounty scene as it is now. Um, whether that's I don't know how you do that, but. I would rather see a much lesser version of that. I'd rather see, you know, slower players, if that's what it meant, than, you know, to see the club game suffer and eventually, like, go the way of, of some other sports, which will happen, I, I feel. It really, really will happen. Uh, like, when you can have junior footballers playing on an inter- inter-county team, uh, as, as many, many counties have, I think that's fantastic. When you can have Belmullet beating Brafie against the head of Mayo a couple of weeks ago and, you know, like, on the verge of getting to a county final, that is fantastic. Uh, but... If that drain happens with players leaving and, you know, just the strong clubs become stronger because they have sponsorship and the money coming into them, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to get results like that. And uh, the competitions and everything, parishes, morale around the county, et cetera, be an awful lot less for it. And Stephen, when you even consider there, as Colin mentioned, some of the bigger clubs, like even like you take some of the big clubs, even like Kilmacud and some of those that 
I suppose, have the, the revenue. Yeah, Kilmacud, uh, actually chatting to a guy last Monday, he played for Kilmacud, a friend of mine actually from home here. Uh, we, we were we were off for midterm, we went for a game of golf and he was just chatting to me. He, he spent two seasons in Dublin and he played for Kilmacud and he's just like, I, I don't know what the actual membership is, but thousands like, you know, and, and he's just saying like the size of the club, Stevie, he says, you have to see it to believe it, you know, senior teams, intermediate teams, junior teams and like those clubs are just super clubs like and they're super powers but then you have the stories like Colin talked about or your Kilkoos for example and I have respect for them as a club because if you drive through Kilku and close your eyes on the way through you're gone and you'll not even see the village you know it's that small and you have to like you look at them beating you know the, the Dublin champions on their way to the All-Ireland final in 2019 and like those stories, like you don't get those stories at senior at the county level. You just don't get them, you know. And I, I just feel like the, the club scene is just so refreshing. Like last Friday night, I sat down in the house here and myself and the wife watched Dromore playing Trillick and you know, Dromore raced in a seven in the lead, Trillick then came back and went seven points up, and then Dromore came back and won the game. And but the stories in that team, like you know, the, the couple of younger lads that have come through and played under 20 football for their club, and you know, at the end of the game. The interviews were just so refreshing, so honest. And, you know, Dramore talked about how they looked at Manny Donnelly, looked at Dramore when he's a young fella and respected Dramore because they're near neighbours, like they're rivals, like, and they're across the, the town each other, they socialised together. And Manny Donnelly was envious of Dramore and <laughs> that drove him up. And then Trillick then became the, the, the sort of, well, there's no real superpower in Tyrone now because it's so spread out, but Trillick were the dominant force for a few years. And the Dramore players then, the younger Dramore players said, well, well, we want to be like them. We want to be winning titles. And you would never get those type of interviews like from the heart or, or, or straight off the cuff at inter-county level because everything's so guarded. It's so, you know, Jesus, don't dare say anything that could be used against you or whatever. And, and like I've always been of the opinion, like if, if you need to go onto somebody's Facebook page or Twitter page to motivate yourself for a game, like there's something seriously wrong. Like, so I don't know what we're trying to hide or what we're trying to do because Colin talked about it. And I seen the impact lads myself, like when, when, when myself and Turlick were involved at Carla, like one of our biggest things was to try and obviously, you know, really raise the profile of the county, right? To get young people playing football. And like, I, I remember a great image. I remember a great image from the game that was played live and one of the live games that was played and it flashed to the stand and there was a couple of young lads in the stand and one of the young lads was a young lad called Connor Doyle from Brendan Murphy's club in Raffili. And like that lad was in the stand in awe at 17 years of age and two years later at 19, he was starting in the senior team, you know, and like he, he all he wanted to do after was just play football for Carlo because he there were TV it was at the game they were playing you know and they were getting exposure you know and, and like, you, you, I don't know I, I just feel sometimes we don't see the bigger picture you know like the media sometimes footballers and coaches and managers in particular forget that you know the reason they get the perks the reason they get their sponsored cars their, their you know their profiles is because of the media you know so it's going to get to a stage then where and Colin's probably you know, I'd say from a, from a journalist perspective, you could speak greater on this, but people are just going to get fed up. Journalists are just going to get fed up. So why are we giving these guys exposure when we're getting nothing back ourselves? You know, and I, I just I just feel that that you know we we could we've got such a great brand. The GA Colin talked about. You know, they've got so much right strategic level, and there is so much good about the GA, and and we have so much good about it. And like I I ran a coaching day last Saturday in school. And like we used the, the down under 15 lads, development squad lads, like, and 
Benny there, Benny Coder, Marty Clark, Kieran McKee. We'd over 400 coaches from all over Ireland came to our day, and it was one of the largest coach education events in Ireland. Like, and it's absolutely invaluable to our school, the funds that we raised from it. And like the buzz I got coming from that day, speaking to GA people, speaking to coaches who had traveled, first coaching through the door from Limerick, just thirsty for knowledge, thirsty for learning, you know, just using this time to upskill as a coach and the, the, the amount of good. But all those coaches, all they talked about. Every one of them, like over 400 and traveled from all over Ireland, it's all about what they could bring back to the club. That was what they're talking about, what they can bring back to the club, you know. And this was the big thing, like, you know, and, and I've said before to clubs, like, the great time of the year to upscale your coaches, better coaches, better players. And I, I just feel, you know, we, we, we need to be very careful and we just so important we don't lose sight of the, of the most important cog in the GA for me, you know. Just finally, um, Colin, before we do move on to the club action, um. Obviously, uh, Stephen talks there about interviews, but as a journalist, like you've obviously interviewed your fair share of players, but like how frustrating is it when it can become that robotic? Um, listen, I suppose <laughs> it's going back like a quarter of a century now, but uh, when I was a teenager, my, my brother was playing for Mayo, so we I remember the excitement of him being in all Ireland finals in, in 96, 97, and you know, semi finals in 99, and all the rest of it when I would have been only a young fella. And, you know, I, I even remember him, uh, you know, being like interviewed the week of, of all Ireland finals and like his interview being in the Sunday Independent, whatever the day matches. And it didn't even uh, enter anybody's minds, I think, back then that that was something that should be kind of forbidden or, you know. And then one of the reasons I actually wanted to write about sport, I'll never forget, was Vincent Hogan coming out to... He was, free, he was doing a bit of free taking. Uh, Morris was doing a bit of free taking at Deer Park in Dublin. He was living there at the time, and I was I was fifteen or sixteen, just being out there with him, getting the ball, kicking it back out. And I remember just even watching the interview kind of happen as he was kicking, and and even just thinking that this is like that was one of the reasons that made me a want to play and b then want to write about sport, um, and like that would just obviously not happen uh, now, and and wouldn't have happened for for a long long time. And um, I think, again, it's a huge missed opportunity. And to be honest, if it ever goes the way of it becoming corporatized, where, again, like it does, and I know it's already happened, you know, an awful lot of, you know, the, the reason players show up to things, the, the exposure that, that you do end up getting is it lends itself because there's some corporate event sponsored by something. And that's what um, media outlets rely on to get their sound bites and their interviews, which is, which is I think, quite sad. Um I know the flip side of that is that the players have a very short shelf life to kind of maximize their exposure as players to get as much out of it as they can. So I know there's a, there's a two-way street in that, but it ties into, again, to what, to what Stephen is saying as regards, you know, what, what are our values here within the GAA? Like, what is it genuinely all about? Of course, we have to look after our players. Of course, we have to look after those who are playing inter-county uh, football, uh, you know, more than, more than the club player to an extent. I understand all of that, but I mean... I'm lucky in the sense that most of the writing I do is kind of colour writing and is less sort of the more routine uh, journalistic stuff. Because if it was, if it was like heading down to press nights, I mean, I, I don't think I'd be doing it because I've hear, heard the horror stories. I've been there a few times. I see it myself. But um, no, I, I think it, what you lose in that is the connection between a young footballer and, and their role models, which is, again, what the club will always bring you. The fact that you can be in a parish club at 17 years of age, togging out beside a 34 or 38-year-old who's played in three All-Ireland finals. And if there's a disconnect there from the point of view of that, you know, that connection isn't there, whether it's through the media or whatever else, we're really, really losing 
uh, I really, really feel we are. You know, I was listening to Stephen talk there and where, where he, you know, where physically he's talking to. And I often think about Billy Joe Padden, who like played seasons of club football for Belmullet while living in Yuri and um, didn't bat an eyelid. Uh, you know, genuinely didn't bat an eyelid about those trips and doing that. And, uh, you know, he was probably getting a few dirty looks when he mightn't have showed up for a bloody, you know, whether it was, you know, a Friday night game or a Friday night training session before a championship match. And, you know, we would have had conversations about that, but it would have been what he expected of himself. Um, and, you know, to another team sport, that'd be madness. Or to me and to him and to most of us, um, that's how, how we were kind of brought up. And I hope we never kind of lose that. Um, but I think, yeah, the media exposure and what players are expected and what they do give and what they don't give. And, you know, the irony of it all is, and I know I kind of sound like a real hack saying this, is that an awful lot of these players will then go and work in the media themselves, um, which is the other side of it. So it is a frustration. And I'd say there's a lot, like a lot of guys feel it a lot more than me. But I feel that the trick that's been missed is that uh, so many young people look up to these guys and the more of the genuine, authentic uh, people they can get, uh, the more they'll want to continue playing. Well, um, we'll now move on <laughs> to the um, some of the club action. Uh, Stevie, you did mention there Dermore and Trillick um, on Saturday, the game that was live on RT and... I suppose we all kind of seen Tyrone club football last year on the telly and we didn't know it could have got much better, but it surely did on Saturday. Yeah, listen, Paul, it's 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 a phenomenal championship. It's a phenomenal championship. Uh, 16 years, there's been no consecutive back-to-back winners in the last 16 years, uh, which, which, is, which is a crazy stat, like in any county. Uh, there's been eight different clubs have won the championship in the last 10 years. And I know there's been sort of a bit of criticism fired at, at, at the quality of the throne championship. Like, oh, sure, they never do well in Ulster and they never win Ulster titles. Like, but people have no concept or no idea how difficult it is just to win a first round game, never, win, never mind win a championship. Like, Dungannon went to five consecutive extra times. Last year, they won the championship, having gone to extra time in every single game. Can you imagine how punch drunk you are coming out of that championship, you know, and, and how difficult it is to come out of that championship? Whereas, like, I go back to the example of St. Gauls for Toxic or Cross Midlain when they were in their plum, by the way, not not more recently, but when these counties were in their plum, they weren't looking at their county title. They were actually looking at an Ulster title. So, like, I remember ringing uh, this, this St. Gauls manager at the time. I was over at Ballyholan and we were sort of, like, looking to try and play really established clubs and challenge games during that sort of July fortnight type break, like, and get a really good challenge game in. And I remember ringing St. Gauls at the time and I can't remember who the manager was at the time. It wasn't Lenny, uh, it could have been Carl maybe, I'm not sure, but I remember ringing him and just chatting and I said, look, we're looking at a challenge game. Like, Stevie, there's not much point in us playing you because we only play a bit of five-a-side soccer till August. He says, and then we start our pre-season. So like most clubs are coming into August flying, like hoping that they, you know, they, they can obviously hit the ground running coming into the business end of the season, but they were only starting their heavy stuff. So they were trying to peak for October time when they were playing in an Ulster club because they knew that they would do enough to win the Antrim Championship without probably having to come out a second year. You know, and Cross McLean were very, very much similar, Paul, you know, and, and probably in the same sort of way as Dublin are and Leinster, you know, that they know they're going to win it second year. So, you know, we, we'll, we'll taper our training to make sure we're peaking in, in July, not, not in June. But um, I just feel the Tyrone Championship is just, it's something else. And I felt the quality on Friday night, and I'm not getting carried away here, but I felt the quality of the game tactically, 
physically, you know, the standard, you know, you know, the technical skills as well. I thought the quality of the game was as good as you would see in Division Three or Four in the GA National County Football League. Like, you know, I, I really did. I felt it was as good a standard as, as as some county games, and if not better, if not better, you know. And obviously, the game on Sunday, then Fallen Law, he's actually a Kalela man. Uh, white father, Aiden, he would have played his club football for Kalela, and he was obviously buzzing. He was in our house Sunday night, and he was buzzing about their victory. And and Kalela are just dogs of war. Like, you know, you've got the Hempseys, Matt Kernan, you know, and they just have so many dogs like who will just go to the well for you so many times. And like they've been beaten five or six times. Like they've been dead and buried in games. And, you know, here they are, you know, in a, in a county final and, and probably could win it, you know, could easily win it. Like, so it's just, a, it's just a phenomenal championship, Paul. Anybody who's never been to it. Like I, I used to go watch a lot of it when I, when I was dating Marie, obviously a long time ago. Oh, she's over 20, 23 years ago now. But, I used to go to O'Neill Park and watch local derbies. And the first Tyrone Championship game I watched, it was six cent off. Like, it was absolutely crazy. I never forget it. I just thought it was um, one of those moments that lives in the, in the memory. You're just thinking, like, is it like this every week? But it was uh, it was just crazy. Like, you know, it's, it's just so parochial. It's so passionate. The teams are so, you know, they're just so close together. And, and I know that there's, I know you can sort of beat the whole anti Ulster thing. Like, oh, it's, it's negative and stuff. But there's, if you watch it, like, there's nothing really negative. It's just, it's just so intense. It's so attritional, you know, and it's it's fascinating. Like it really is fascinating. And I'll tell you one thing, Paul. Just before uh, I, I pass over to Colin, like one of the things I'd say to you is, if you look at the quality of the coaching in Tyrone at club level, the people are coaching in Tyrone. These <coughs> seriously good operators, seriously like like men who have coached at, at at county level, and you see that starting to creep in now. And maybe Colin could touch on. I don't want to go back to what we're talking about. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you're seeing the likes of Malika Rook. You know, Paul McIver, all back involved in club football because maybe they're just thinking that you know the county game has got so so crazy now that that, that, that the future is in club football. But the standard of, of coaching in Tyrone as well, Paul, is 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 absolutely outstanding. Like, standing. Colin, when you see some of the stories, I suppose in this Tyrone Club Championship, I suppose when you look at that Coal Island victory, um, freedom, but. To get the result against Ergil Kieran with thirteen men, a last kick of the game from um, O'Hagan as well. Like it's there's, there's just so many stories and narratives within this Tyrone Club Championship. There are, and it's kind of I think reflective of the you know the Tyrone. You know, it's funny. Okay, I'm gonna sound like uh, I'm contradicting myself here, but if you if you're to take the, even the Tyrone intercounty season and how many stories and narratives kind of fell out of that. Um, you know, far more than any other county had to had to encounter, be it, you know, who they had to beat going through the Ulster Championship and then the whole the COVID-19 situation and a few unlikely victories along the way to get to the final. I think, you know, there are quite quite a lot of similarities, I think, in the in the, in the club scene. Um, and it's gas because, as Stephen said, like you could have a, a club championship like Tyrone where you'd have like four or five teams, it seems, that could easily win an Ulster uh, Championship and none of them might, um, is the point. And... That again is the beauty of the of, of the kind of club scene where you'll have a you know another county might might throw up a team that'll that'll come through and and clip one of those in an Ulster semi final or an Ulster final, but um, yeah it's 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 like it's you know not to be kind of delving too much in nostalgia but I remember being up in uh, I was based in Lifford uh, you know, in the air as an officer in the army in like 1999 and going across to. Uh, Lifford uh, straddled Straban there Straban is on the other side of the bridge and. Um, you know, going across, and this was obviously a few years before uh, Tyrone won, won their senior All-Ireland. Straban would have been an intermediate club at the time. Straban Sigerson's, I'm not even sure what they are now. 
I had never in my life seen a setup like it. Now, bear in mind that Mayo were the team, like this was 1999, Mayo had been to like two All-Ireland finals, they were an All-Ireland semi-final that year and expected or expecting to kind of, you know, win All-Irelands. And I had never seen a setup. And by setup, I mean facilities, yes, but also numbers, you know, family involvement. It was, I used to go down there, you know, twice a week whenever I was up there training. And I, you know, I was young, so I was probably unaware of what was coming for Tyrone. But when it finally came in the early 2000s and then throughout that decade, it kind of made perfect sense to me. Um, but I don't think it can be a Tyrone championship without there being uh, our Tyrone footballing story without there being huge drama. And certainly last weekend, there was lots of that and uh, brilliant entertainment. And I hope uh, whatever televised games are coming up that they tap into that. And, uh, you know, because that's an unbelievable advertisement for the club game. And again, just to go back a little bit to what Stephen was saying, like you pick a Monday morning after any of these epic weekends of club football, like going back the last 10 or 15 years for as long as they've been on TV. And like there isn't a writer or a fan or a footballer in the country who, who wouldn't agree that this is the best of what the game has to offer. And unfortunately, it's like by the time summer comes along, like the next summer and the intercounty season starts again, we've never forgotten about that. But anyway, I'm going backwards. Um, but yeah, fascinating club championship and brilliant to like for a guy like myself to not even know what game is on on a given weekend, sit down, happen upon these games, and then you're just engrossed in it and you're kind of tracking it then for the weeks to come. As well, uh, uh, Stevie, there obviously two dairy semifinals were on uh, last weekend and the final is now between the Glen and Slochneil this weekend. And I suppose there is a lot of people tipping the Glen to overturn Slochneil this weekend. Yeah, just go back there just quickly before I talk about Glen and, and Slochneil. When Colin mentioned that the when he talked about Monday morning, uh, I thought he was going to start talking about the, the volume of Monday clubs that you would see on social media. That <laughs> involved in that. I, I actually enjoy following those as well. Like, you know, uh, they're, they're always good fun. Like, but uh, no, listen, the Glenn, the Glenn Slack Neil one again is you know, the, 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 probably the, the contenders to the crown and, and the champions, you know, and, and listen, Slack Neil have been wonderful, wonderful champions. Uh, not just particularly in football, Paul, but the fact that they're a dual club and the fact that the likes of Brandy Rogers, Chrissy McKeague, who are absolutely critical, critical key players in their uh, senior football team, are also critical key players in their hurling team. And you know, there was a lot of talk about dual clubs and the and the lack of dual clubs and the lack of the dual player. And I actually felt that the days of the dual player, well, the days of the dual player, County Lever are completely gone because of the way the leagues are run and and the demands that are placed on players. But, it's so refreshing to see these clubs playing. And I, I go back to St. Vincent's coming to, to Park Eshler and Uri. Uh, oh, what year was it? I'm trying to think what year it was, but they were playing Stock Neal. Yeah. And there was an all Ireland final. And I went down to watch it. And Chrissy McCaig was marking Cameron Connolly. And I have never seen uh, individual performance from a defender actually put a forward on the back foot the way McCaig put Connolly in the back foot that day. And Damon Connolly spent the whole day marking you know, it was a phenomenal performance from, you know, a star-studded St. Vincent's team with Enda Barley and a few other outside players. And but this was a slack kneel team who, you know, prided themselves on the fact that everyone was from, you know, a, a two-kilometer radius of their club ground. And, you know, it was just passion. They speak Irish in the village. You know, it's it's a it's a phenomenally proud place. Like, and the success that they've had at Camogie and Hurling football is astounding. It's absolutely astounding. And, I just feel, but I just feel that there seems to be something about this Waddy Graham's team. They've been coming, 
They won five minor championships back to back. They won a handful of Ulster under 21 championships. Connor Glass has returned from Australia. He's playing absolutely superb football. The manner of their victory against Loop would be the only concern in the fact that, you know, sometimes when your club team or well, any team cruise into a final and the opposition struggle into the final, you know, it's always sort of nearly like an ambush. But I, I feel with, you know, a man of, of the calibre of Malachi Rourke and, you know, Ryan Porter involved, like it's serious operation there at, at Waddy Graham's. And I feel if Waddy Graham's can get over the line on Sunday, you might you might find that Waddy Graham could emulate their underage success of dominance for, for maybe a period of, of four or five years, Paul, because you've got so many really, really good footballers in that Waddy Graham's team, so much talent but it's young, it's fresh, it's full of running, it's full of energy. And I, I feel Slackneil will have their really will have their hands full on Sunday. But who knows? There might be an old, an old fight left in the old dog yet. And maybe I'm writing Slackneil off too early. But I just feel that at the minute, looking at it from the outside, I, I feel it's it's Waddy Graham's time. And it could be their time for quite a while. Speaking of the old dog, Colin, um, I suppose in the papers uh, on Monday morning, you could... I suppose everyone could see that picture of Niall McNamee where he rescued a draw for um, Road, and he's he's just been a class act over the last few years, really. Probably under the radar, maybe just being from awfully, not disrespecting awfully now, Arrington. Yeah, and again, just another one of those brilliant stories where, um, you know, I think, you know, on Twitter and, and social media and that, uh, obviously, that clip went around um and got a lot of circulation over the weekend but um he he has always been a class act uh, i think he's a guy who would have graced any county team in his, in, in his prime absolutely would have and um the fact that he still has the grow for the game or the desire to keep on going back play for his club again only speaks to what myself and Stephen have been uh, talking about um i also saw it i think it might have been an intermediate championship game in awfully over the weekend where Kieran mcmanus was was lining out for uh for his club, uh, Tubber, um, which, you know, again, I think he might be, I'm not sure where Kieran would be, be in his mid-40s anyway, but, uh, like, these things aren't, like, these aren't pub leagues, like, these are, like, you know, hugely committed teams uh, playing in very kind of competitive, and you often find, and, like, Stephen would know an awful lot more about this and the likes of Carlo and all the rest of it, and, like, that was the thing for me even going up, it was, like, you didn't have any of these games on TV, but I knew about Aero Og. And you knew about, um, you know, Balting Glass and Wicklow and like these, so counties that didn't have any, uh, that didn't exist in the like kind of in your psyche as regards being forces at inter-county level did in another way because of their prowess at club level. Um, So you find a lot of times with, you know, and I'd have a lot of good friends in Offaly, you know, I know how competitive Offaly club football is, how serious they take it and how difficult it is to kind of win championships down there. But brilliant to see somebody like Niall McNamee, who's had like such a roller coaster of a career, um, but such a quality, you know, footballer. And again, you know, the beauty of that is that there's probably the 36th guy sitting on the, on the bench um, looking at him score that goal is training with him like three nights a week and soldiering with him and having the crack with him. And that's, that's the beauty of club football. Just a game on TG Gary as well. Um, Stevie there over the weekend, I suppose. Poor Pierce's um, getting their hands back on the Roscommon title, their second title in third years. And it's a huge achievement for a club who had to wait 57 years to get their first title. Yeah, I watched the game. Um, you know, Clannagale obviously are 
club a huge tradition. Uh, some brilliant footballers as well. Kieran and Fergal Lennon, great lads, great attitude, uh, lovely, lovely guys. And, you know, Alton Harney's had a tough year. Alton had a lot of injuries this year, didn't play much county football. Uh, again, Alton, a great lad, great attitude, you know. And, and actually, it was, I spent a bit of time in Clannagale, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, coach education weekend and I did a bit of work for the club and stuff like that and, and you know they're, they're obviously a, a club with huge and rich tradition but Pierce's again have a lot of a lot of dogs of war you know they've got the Daly brothers Niall and, and Ronan and Connor who you know would, would chew the leg of a chair they're like to get at you like so the the, 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 the conditions in, in Hyde Park on Sunday probably suited Pierce's as well big Hubert there at full forward as well Hubert Darcy like so a lot of good footballers a lot of good footballers there's a lot of brilliant footballers in this common a lot of brilliant footballers in this common I think the final on Sunday was probably a poor affair you know for the standard of football that was on the field but then again like it's, it's a final it's when it all costs it's nobody wants to lose and you know the conditions didn't help, and I suppose you know when you get to that stage, like you're 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 nearly you nearly don't want to lose it, you know, rather than go and try and win it. Like, and and you'll probably find that a lot of county finals. Like, I even think our own county final on Sunday, I think, it will be a very very attritional affair. Like the Down Championship this year, actually, it's been a poor, very poor championship, very very poor standard. But um, I, I this is my first year in twelve years, not involved at club level, so I've I've watched an enormous amount of it. Like and I feel you know that everybody was expecting two really really good semi-finals, but the semi-finals were like nine eight and eight six, and I think the final is going to be something very very similar because it just you get to that stage and it's it's the win at all cost mentality creeps in then Paul you know and 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 teams don't want to to lose and it becomes very attritional and 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 very uh, and, and very sort of like cautious, but it's just something that, that Colin touched on as well. And he's completely right there about Eero and Carlo, and it's the same. It just came into my head like. As well, even St. Gold's and Antrim, you know, like like synonymous with with club level success and all Ireland success, and yet Antrim wouldn't have wouldn't have had much success, you know, at, at the same time. And it is, it's 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 very very true. Like, but I think probably Paul, it's worth noting as well. And again, we're talking about uh, proposal B and stuff here. But, but see this water break, I, I I can't get my head around the water break, right? Because it's become a tactical timeout now. It, it doesn't last for a minute. It lasts for sometimes three, four, five minutes. Like there's tactics sports been brought out onto the field. There's you know, it, it, I think I think it has had an, an impact actually in some of the quality of the games because a game could be flowing and then the water break comes and it's disrupted and there's a break and it just it's hard to get going again. And I, I find them, I actually find them that they actually disrupt the flow of a game and nearly change the direction of how a game's going. I've seen that happen so, so many occasions, you know, and I don't know why we still have it. I really don't, because we're into November now. It's not as if it's warm, you know, so it, it just, it doesn't make sense for me at all. This, this water break really doesn't, you know. No, the water breaks are definitely frustrating everyone. But Colin, just on the Galway Club Championship, I suppose everyone is keeping their eyes on curve in and just, the remarkable club team they have been they sent out a statement of intent and I suppose everyone all around the country is just going to be watching them from here on in now but I suppose they have to renew their acquaintances uh, with Montpellier now in the county final Yeah it's 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 one of those things where um, you know Curfin are just like they're just uh, like Crossmill again where before them but they're like just a complete phenomenon they're like they're a freakish they're a freakish um, club, you know, even as regards the demographics of it, where it is, you know, it's just a huge, big parish. It's not, there's no town, you know, there's no town on per se. Um, and then you have that kind of, 
um, as can happen, I think sometimes to the, to the detriment of the of the county scene, where you know these kids grow up as I see it. Anyway, this is just my opinion. You know, you have an awful lot of guys who would come up in that Curfin club, and for them, it is all about Curfin and not about Galway, which again flies in the face of a lot of what we've been talking about as regards the club versus county thing. Um, but certainly, as I understand it, yeah, that is that is what drives that. It's it's funny actually. Um, happened upon uh, maybe one of the I think it could have been Matt Williams or somebody on on News Talk to, talking on off the ball about uh, why can't other countries replicate what the All Blacks do when it comes to rugby and uh, it was uh, you know I was kind of half listening until he only started talking about it and his his reasoning was was because although you know we study so much about sports that you think you can replicate what other teams do his point was that no it. it you can't teach a 20 year old how to play rugby like a, an all black you can you know you, but you can teach a five or six year old and I think for clubs like Curra Finn um, that's what it is it's like these kids are in national school and all they want to do is play for Curra Finn and so they're involved with the club like that and like like Curra Finn literally it goes either side of the N17 which is like they roll out of Galway heading for Mayo it's a huge big parish so you've got these small little pocket country schools and for them it's all about playing for Curra Finn if you play, play for Galway good and well, that, believe me, is not what they're thinking about when they're kids. So to bring it back to, the, to, to where we're at at the moment, it's just remarkable to me for a club team that produces, again, very few county players, um, that they are like hands down the favourites to win this county championship again. Mount Bellew, uh, Moila have been in, I think, you know, four uh, county finals in the last 10 years. They've been down this road before. Uh, Curra Finn have been their kind of... Uh, Obviously, their nemesis in that regard. So I think it would be huge for them if they could get over the line once and uh, and win one. Uh, they're a fantastic club team. I think last year's club championship, as was the situation, an awful lot of counties caught an awful lot of teams in the hop, but was also quite pure in the way it was like short uh, run in and a short championship. And I think that really suited Mike Cullen, who were a very, very good team and had a good championship to the point of getting eliminated this year. But yeah, you're looking at um, Currafin, they will be favourites. I think this will suit Mount Bellew, though, and I really do think, um, you know, the Dailies, you know, they have a lot of quality there and they, I think, have been a team that have been coming and might have learned from some of those defeats. Um, so I think it'll be a lot closer than it may have been previous years. And uh, if you're kind of looking for maybe one against the head, um, that it would be worth it, I think. Mount Bellew would be well worth their victory if they did. But uh, as for Curra Finn, like, again, being involved with a club like Salt Hill here, you know, there was always kind of a bit of apathy looking out towards Curra Finn, et cetera, et cetera, where I think those who knew better would have been telling us to know, you look at them and you learn, um, because what they're doing is obviously the right thing. Absolutely. Well, that's all on our um, club football show, Stephen. Thanks a million for your time, lads. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. Thanks, Colin.